feel better when you obey? <laughs> I know that may sound like a crazy question, but, um, you know, when we come under God's direction and we hear his voice and we respond, there's a peace that settles. And it's because things are coming into alignment. They're coming into a place that God has created us to be in this place of alignment with him. And as we went to prayer, like, I don't know that I prayed this, but one of the first things that came to my mind was this. is like, God, I don't have to, have to convince you of anything I'm saying. Like, I don't have to convince him to do good for these teens. I don't have to convince him to give strength to the workers. That's already in his heart. It's my heart coming into agreement with his heart. And that's what prayer does. It brings us into alignment with God. And this is actually going to tie in uh, with what we're going to be looking at today is coming into alignment with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, So we are today uh, wrapping up our uh, seven-week series in Joel. And um, I'm going to touch on that in just a a bit about what that means for me. Um, But I want to begin this this teaching today. We're in the last five verses of the book of Joel. I want to begin by... uh, taking some of you back into your earlier history. Now, this may not apply. In fact, I'm sure it doesn't apply to all of you, but there's quite a few in this room that are going to um, connect with the story that I'm about to share. Um, Any of you remember at recess when you were in elementary school? And some of you, that's all y'all needed to say. (laughs) Yeah, there's connection. I remember recess. But you remember when there was like a pickup game of of dodgeball or kickball or soccer or, or something like that, and everybody lines up in a line, and there are two team captains picked, okay? And if you're not one of those team captains, you're standing shoulder to shoulder with everyone else, and yes, you're standing there, but you want to say, you know, pick me. You know, you, maybe you did, you know, put your hand up and say, pick me. But but the picking starts, you know, and, and they don't realize what's happening. Like, they are literally setting you up for counseling for years later in your life. <laughs> that, that depending on what name's called, okay, there's another six weeks of counseling I'm going to be going through because, you know, that person was picked before me. It makes no sense. So, but anyhow, you're standing there. You're waiting to be picked. And you're not picked first. You're not picked second. You're not picked third. But what you're seeing is something happening. And I don't know how this happens. But all of a sudden, it's pretty clear that one team is already going to dominate. Like, okay, it even picks. It shouldn't work that way. But you can see already, this team is the team that is going to win. You don't even have to play the game. Okay? But what happens, okay, now this, I'm sure this never really happened. But in the story, bear with me. You're standing there, and your name is called to be on that team. The winning team. And for some odd reason, you say, no, thank you, I want to be on that team. And you go to the team that you know is going to lose. And, and you knew it, but for some reason you chose the losing team, and guess what? It happened, you lost. Now that sounds absolutely ridiculous, right? Let me make it even more ridiculous. The next day, you're standing in line, same sequence, all these things are happening. You're picked again for the winning team, and you say no. I want to be humiliated once again. (laughs) And you go to the losing team. And this happens day after day after day after day. You're chosen to win, yet you choose to lose. Now, it's not the end of the story. There comes a day when, once again, your name is picked, and you have the opportunity to be on that winning team. And for some reason unknown to you, all of a sudden you say yes. Yes. And you go to that that team, you play the game, and you win. What a difference. 
What a difference. You responded to the invitation to win. Now, the thing is, it's like, like when we take it back to, to our childhood, that seems like a ridiculous scenario, and I'm sure that nobody went through this scenario in that way, right? But yet, when we look at our daily lives, we can go through that scenario very often. And this connects into the book of Joel because today as we conclude the study in Joel, we're going to see God wins. We're going to see clearly that God wins. And the thing is, is that we are invited to be part of that win. Not just at the end of time that we're going to be looking at, but we're invited to be part of that win every day. And for some reason unknown to us, we often choose no. We often have a a victory, like literally handed before us, and for some reason, we're drawn to the other team. Well, what I'm praying for, what I believe God wants to do, is to prompt us in such a way where in our lives, we're saying yes to the win. That we're moving forward, and we're we're taking the step that really, it makes sense, but for some reason, we're holding back. So... I have this blessing, well, I have this incredible blessing, my wife, Joelle. In fact, would you please give a hand for Joelle? Um, you're saying, why am I clapping? Well, because she's my wife, okay? Um, but more than that, she, she, in addition to that, as part of that, she's an incredible support. So, so Joelle, I, I have her review my notes. Like, she goes through uh, before I teach, you know, so I'm actually sharing some of the blame. If you don't like it, Joelle has part of this. Um, <laughs> But when she reviewed uh, the, uh, the notes um, for me, um, she said, it feels a little weird. And, and it's like, yeah, I know. And, and she said exactly why. And I'm going to tell you why right now. I don't have three points. <laughs> I know some of you are saying heresy, like Ichabod, you know, glory is departed. Uh, no, but it, I, have <laughs> I have one point, and this is it. And this is going to go throughout the morning. Now, there will be, Jesse said, yeah, you don't have three points, but you have like 11 different stuff. It's true, okay? I mean, there are going to be other things up on the screen. But this is the primary point that we just want us to, to hear and to embrace and to apply in our lives. And the first thing, two, two words, God wins. God wins. Amen. Yeah, that's something to celebrate. And here's what goes along with this. And that he's longing, he longs. He longs for you to live under his rule today and forever. He longs for you to live under his rule today and forever. So we're going to talk about how victory, how winning, and his rule are connected. But this is what God is is calling us to today. I'm I'm confident of this, is that that he's calling you by name. You have this opportunity today. You're standing in line. He's calling your name, and you have this opportunity today to say yes to him. Now, you could say, it's taken care of. I'm already a Christian. Uh, you know, my eternity is, is, is with him. I know that. What am I saying yes to? I hope you're saying yes to more of his rule. I hope you're saying yes to more of his victory, to more of the win that he is calling you to in your life. So again, embrace this, this one point, and I believe that God will speak powerfully to you. He's, he's worked it in me. He's working it in me. And I can't wait to, how, to see how he continues to work it in me. That God wins. And he's longing, you, he's longing for you. He's longing for you to live under his rule today and forever. Let's pray again. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this time. We thank you for your spirit. 
We thank you for the community that we are part of here, both for those that are in person, those that are joining us online. Uh, God, we're together focused on you. Thank you for your word that is alive. Thank you for your spirit that brings conviction and and reveals truth. Now, Lord, help us to uh, submit to you. God, we've all walked in carrying different things, and Lord, we carry those things, and we just want to set them before you now and say, God, uh, here's my life. Here's the the things that I'm going through. Uh, Speak your word, and by your spirit, uh, just enter into my life in a way that brings your transformation that you desire this morning. And God, I thank you for the beauty of your presence here among us, and we honor you. We glorify you. Uh, We give you, Lord, uh, this place to now rule and reign as you desire in our lives and in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just to warn you, like, I can't tell you, every time I'm praying, I feel like I'm supposed to end with, and everybody sang. (laughs) Feel one of these days. (laughs) I'm going to pull a feel on you, and we're going to sing instead of uh, saying amen together. Um, but, you know, this whole thing, God wins. There's something about that, that that honestly may have brought a check to your spirit, and honestly it did to mine, because it sounds like it's futuristic. It sounds like that's something that's going to happen. And the answer to that is, it, yes, it is. But yet, I want to be very clear about this, is that there's no moment... <laughs> in history, before mankind, up to now or ever, that God is not winning, okay? I, I, don't, want, I don't want it to sound like, like, like there's this moment that, or this time that we're living in that God's losing, but all of a sudden we're gonna see and he's gonna pull ahead at the end and he's gonna win. That's not what I'm saying, okay? We are going to point to a specific win in today's scripture uh, that, where we see God winning. But, you know, so many times there's this, this competition back and forth. I was thinking in sports, you know, like, like some sports are like so slow and move like, I want to be careful. Any golfers in here? Okay. Like, you know, oh, that person pulled ahead on this hole. You know what I mean? And then it's like, it's like these turtles and I'm sorry, you're driving in a golf cart, it's a little faster. But like, the, the, you know, who's winning? It, 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 it's, it doesn't change quickly. Basketball, on the other hand, like that's like who's winning? Like that can change within seconds and it can go back and forth and you don't know who wins until the end. I mean, that, that's like, it, you're on the edge of your seat. Like, who's going to win? And, but here, I, I want you to know that God wins is, is a statement for all time and eternity. That, that he is winning. Don't question that. You know, and, and the thing is, the reason I'm saying that is like, we can look at the, I don't want to say the game of life, but we can. We can look at life and we can look in our world and we can you turn on the news, look online, go into Walmart and just ask yourself, who's winning right now? And sometimes we can wonder, we can wonder, is God winning? We can question, like, like you know, is he going to pull from behind here? Because right now it seems like somebody or something else is winning. But be assured that God is winning. He always wins. It's just that the perspective that we have and what we are seeing at the moment may cause us to doubt, but stand confident that God wins. He, he is winning. He's, he always wins. Now what happens is we've been looking at this uh, book of Joel, and I wrote down some words uh, uh, to describe it, uh, okay, it's 73 verses, it's short, it's only three chapters. It's short, it's intense, it's confusing, it's enlightening. These are just some of the things that I've found as we've gone through um, the, the book of Joel, uh, that it's all these things and so much more. But, but here, here's what I, I want us to land on very strongly. First and last words are so important, and I want us to look at the first and last words of Joel. 
Joel chapter 1, verse 1 says this, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. The word of the Lord that came to Joel. This is the declaration of God. Everything that we have read and studied in this book is from the word of God. And then I want you to read this final proclamation that we're going to get to. In Joel chapter 3, verse 21, the last statement, the Lord dwells in Zion. The Lord dwells in Zion. Now the thing is, these are the bookends, but everything in between is the word of the Lord. Everything in between is leading for us to see this reality that, that, that we're going to get to, that this declaration, this truth, that the Lord dwells in Zion. Now that you think back and like, there's been a mess getting to this, right? I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that we've really had to wrestle through and try to, to process and digest. And here's what I want you to, I want to encourage you to do. Like the things that, you're, that you've heard and what you're hearing today, we can say, okay, we've studied Joel, now we move on. I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to take the things that God's been speaking to you and carry them forward. Because I'll tell you what, like, like with Joel, when we met and we were, uh, you know, as a team, we were seeking God and we were uh, preparing, and like, God, what would you have us to do? Uh, we all felt confirmation. We're supposed to teach Joel. And then as teachers, we started looking at it. It's like, oh, no. Like, literally, you, you know, when you look at the passage that you're assigned, it's like, God, what are you trying to say to us here? And then we, we'd pray and we'd talk together and we'd study and, and, and God just brought these incredible truths out. So, so here's, I'm going to do a quick overview and, and um, I know quick is relative for a pastor, but I'm going to try and go down through this pretty quickly um, as far as a review of Joel because I want us to see the big picture that leads us to these last five verses. But here's the thing is the day of the Lord is a really uh, constant and strong theme in Joel. It's mentioned five times in the book of Joel, which is almost a quarter of, of, of how it's mentioned in the Bible. Now, other, um, other places it's mentioned as that day. That adds a lot more occurrences within Scripture. But the day of the Lord is a place where God is, dis- is revealing himself in such a way that his glory and often his judgment and his wrath cannot be ignored. And, you know, a couple commentators I've read over these weeks have said this, is that the, the day of the Lord stands in contrast to what money would say would be the day of man. Because, like, if we would look around our world today, it would seem that it's the day of man. We don't see the, 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 the strength of God. We don't see the person of God magnified over all, okay? He's still winning, but, but the day of the Lord, is, is, or it's, a t- it's not just a 24-hour period. It's often an era. It's often a period of time where God manifests himself in such a powerful way that it's declared this is the day of the Lord, okay? Now, some commentators, again, this isn't, it, it can give you a good summary just when you look at the, at the book, but three chapters. Uh, some people describe chapter one as the immediate day of the Lord. Chapter two is the eminent, which is the coming day of the Lord. And then chapter three is the ultimate uh, the final day of the Lord. Okay, so that's one way to look at the book. Now, one thing that, that I've found is that, again, as we've studied and as we've taught and as we've uh, just been seeking the Lord together, like, like light shines through the different, different verses as we're looking at them. And so in a lot of ways, I find I get greater clarity. But like just this morning, I went through the, the book twice. Uh, once I'd read through and then I was listening through it as, as I was getting ready. And, and it's like, yeah, I'm still not sure about some of this. Like in chapter two where it says never again, never again, never again. It's like, but it seems to be pointing to a future time. And so, so when we look at prophecy, remember that there are times that, that prof- prophecy is giving light to what has happened. Chapter one, there's a famine 
uh, and, and there's a locust invasion, okay? But sometimes it's pointing to the future, and as, as Phil mentioned last week, sometimes there's a dual thing where there's an application here, but there's also a coming application. So, so again, be careful, because like I'm a, I'm a linear thinker in a lot of ways where I want to put it in order, and, and it's not linear here. Okay, there's times that, that prophecies are given that are about a specific thing. I'm going to jump around it a little bit here, but if you go to, again, Acts 2, where Peter says, uh, today is fulfilled, we've spoken of the prophet Joel, he quotes from, from Joel 2, some of it you can see fulfilled right there, and other things you, you don't see fulfilled yet. So, so that's the way that prophecy works. Again, prophecy of Christ talked about, talk about his first coming and his second coming, and often they overlapped, and it was hard for people to see. You know, some people didn't even realize there were two comings of Christ, you know? and, and that's still a veil over some people's eyes. Um, but prophecy has this blending, but, but there's beauty in, in it all, and there's purpose in it all, and we're going to, again, unpack that a little bit more. So we're going to go down through I'm covering uh, six weeks in less than six minutes is the goal. So um, the first part, it was an invitation. As the invitation was brought, this was about, again, the, the, the immediate day of the Lord, the locust invasion, the devastation of the land. And it was a call to get our eyes off of what is temporal and to fix our eyes on what is eternal, uh, to allow what we lose in the natural to help lead us to a greater dependence on God in the spiritual. That's one week. That was pretty quick, right? Okay, so the next one, we move from invitation to destination. And it's a response. What do we do in this? How do we respond to the tough things of life? And as we looked at the scripture passages here in the second part of chapter one, we saw that there was a call to, to feel it, like to mourn. Allow yourself to hurt. When you're going through tough times, allow yourself to feel it, but don't get stuck there. That's part of a pathway. We're called to a fasting that's like when hard things are coming, like get, we need to get ourselves out of the way. God wants to lead us to more of him, and I can't have more of him unless there's less of me. Like, like I need to set aside myself so that I can find that greater that God's leading me to, but it leads from the feeling and the, and the fasting to the finding God, and that's where we, he's our destination. He's our goal. We don't want to get stuck on the way. We want to keep moving so that we can embrace him in the way he would desire for us to embrace him. Then we went into chapter two, and there was, it went from the, the locust plague to now there being an army that, that, that uh, the picture of locust was still there, but now it's actually an army. And it's coming against Judah. That's the people that Joel was writing this prophecy to. The army comes, and, it, and it, it's people, and they're coming against Judah, and then all of a sudden he realized God's leading the army. And I so appreciate how, uh, you know, Ben shared this about how the twist in the plot, like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Like, why is God against us? We're the people of God. But God comes against his people when they're walking in disobedience and they need to turn and repent. God in his love will do that. So, so we saw that there was revelation. It's like the question isn't whether or not God's on my side, it's am I on his side? And, and that's a conviction for me that was so strong in that, that week. It's like, like so many times I can just assume because I belong to God that God's going to bless what I do. No, it's not true. He's going to bless what I do in obedience to him. When I'm stepping into, onto his side, I can trust that, that he is for me. When I'm coming against him, God opposes the proud. He waits for me to become humble. That's where he gives grace. And then we were called to be the first responders, to be those that are going to, uh, to step in on behalf of others. Will we be rescuers instead of condemners? Instead of throwing stones, will we reach out in mercy and grace and, and share truth so that people can find life? Then we move from revelation into transformation. And this, uh, in this week, we looked at these, uh, these verses that began with, then the Lord. 
like in the midst of this, God shows up. And he does these incredible things. And we looked at it, and we, when we looked at it, we realized that things are beyond us, that the process is actually God's. The timing is God's. We looked at, at how Scripture, again, it's this discovery process as we go that we're learning more and more about God, that, that he is working when I don't understand how he's working. He has a perfect timing when his timing does not seem right to me. But here's the thing is that the process is the Lord, the, the timing is the Lord, but the blessing is ours. And that's guaranteed. In him, we have that confidence that, that, that blessing comes our way because he loves us and he loves to, to give good gifts to his children. Uh, then we moved into uh, that week where we, that prophecy that I talked about earlier, this was fulfilled in, in Acts chapter two that Peter actually referenced back to this and he quoted uh, from this passage. And it's a time of celebration. It's the pouring out of the spirit of God. Jesus has said to wait for this. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come on you. So it's the power. It's this time of celebration. It's the provision of God to be witnesses, proclaimers of the message of God, of the gospel of God. And what we were called in that in the midst of the celebration was a call to dedication, that we need to give the Spirit of God more and more place in our lives, to give him room to do all that he desires to do. And then last week, the message that Phil brought to us was kind of twofold because there was the condemnation uh, at the beginning of the first part of chapter three. There's a condemnation. There was judgment that came upon the nations that had worked against Israel, against the hand of God, against the people of God. There was judgment that came. And this was also, again, what had prompted the very first message about invitation. The valley of decision, where, where again, Phil shared about that, that the valley of decision is God's decision. He's meeting out the judgment based on what people did or did not do, their actions for or against God and against, for or against his people, so that it's the valley of decision, it's God's decision, and we live in a valley of decision where we constantly have this, this opportunity, will I follow the invitation of God? Will I let him call me to be on his team? Will I step into the areas of obedience that he's leading me to? So this is the invitation that is constantly going out. And then today, we're going to be looking at this, and it's the culmination. It's the pinnacle of it all. It's so, so like everything that's led up to, um, to uh, Joel 3.16 is um, that there's some variances and that there are, again, judgments and there's some beauty and all that. But like I kind of felt like if this was a musical or a movie, that the score was pretty heavy for a lot of this. And all of a sudden, there's a blackout, and this real peaceful mu music moves in. And then we move into the verses I get to speak from today. That it's, it's this beauty, it's this culmination that we're going to see. Um, but the day of the Lord, think about this. That it is, it is specific times at certain eras of time. And yet it's all the time. Because the day of the Lord, it talks about the governance of God. And G. Campbell Morgan said this, he said, The day of Jehovah is not only present, it is always coming. When some great activity of God has ended, his government has not ceased. Can I say that again? When some great activity of God has ended, his government has not ceased. He proceeds upon his way without intermission. He proceeds on his way without intermission. God wins all the time. He is ruling. What will we do about that? How will we respond? So we're now going to get to today's text. It's only five verses. And uh, I'm going to read it if you can uh, feel free to uh, read along in your scripture or on the screen. Joel 3, 
beginning with verse 17. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy, and never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine, the hills will flow with milk, all the ravines of Judah will run with water, a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. Would you, that last statement, the Lord dwells in Zion, would you say that with me? The Lord dwells in Zion. What beauty we have here. What incredible beauty. And I'm going to shift a little bit from that beauty. I felt like God reordered my message this morning. So if you see papers just flying everywhere, I'm trying to follow God. Um, So we say that, again, this passage, it moves into this peaceful, this serene time. But I want us to look at, um, at, at the whole of the chapter together. And there's two things that, um, that I believe uh, are here within this chapter that I want to address, and it's from an um, uh, eschatology standpoint, and it's these two things. It's seven years and a thousand years. Okay, so, so there is prophesied throughout Scripture. We're not just talking Joel, but Joel is part of this, spoken of in many places. Um, the prophecy in, that, that uh, addresses seven years of tribulation and a thousand years of the millennium. Okay, so seven years of tribulation, we believe that, that again, that uh, a lot of that was being described in the first chapter, portions of it at least, especially the battle of Armageddon, uh, would be uh, what was somewhat was spoken of in that first part of Joel uh, chapter 3. But what's going to happen, and, and you can read in Revelation, if you look at chapter 6 through 16, uh, the tribulation, there is going to become a time on this earth where things, we think things are bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I mean, I, I say that almost with fear and trepidation because what's going to be poured out goes beyond what we can imagine. I mean, there's words that describe it, but I just try to put myself in the place of, of going through these things. And it's, it's called tribulation for a reason, okay? But there's a time that, that there are going to be um, plagues upon the whole earth, uh, shiftings in tectonic plates, celestial um, things come down from the sky. I mean, it, it literally talks about like stars like falling, which are probably meteors hitting Earth. I mean, the, the, uh, the movies that we often see about the end of the world, I don't think they touch it. I really don't. That, that the time of tribulation is going to be an absolutely horrendous time, and it, will, it, it is real, it is coming, it's prophesied over and over again. Now, what happens is that during that time, it's the beast, the Antichrist will rise up, and there's going to be a seven-year covenant that's going to be established. And halfway through that, that time, uh, three and a half years, he's going to break that covenant. He's going to interrupt worship in, in, in Jerusalem. He's going to set himself up as the object of worship. It, it's, the, it, it's, again, the, the, the time of, of desolation that, that, that's going to happen within the temple. It's the abomination that causes desolation. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24, if you want to look at that chapter. But, again, there's so many places in Scripture that point to all this. Okay? But it goes from bad to really bad. The last three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation and ends with the Battle of Armageddon 
where uh, the hordes of, of, of Satan and his army come against, um, against Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. And guess what? Let's go back to our point at the top. God wins, okay? Okay? So this is a tri- tribulation. This is a seven years. Now, the question always, I think is always asked, well, as believers in Christ, are we going to be in it? Okay? Now, many people believe that in, in what's called a, a pre-trib rapture, okay? The rapture is not the second coming of Christ. The rapture is when Christ calls his church away. And those who are in dead in Christ rise first, and those that are alive go up to meet him in the air. So that's the calling of God, pulling his church out of the earth. Many people believe in a, in a, a pre-trib rapture, which means the church is removed before this comes, okay? And there's scriptures, obviously, that support that. Then there are other people that interpret Scripture in another way. They say, no, we believe that the church is going to uh, be raptured mid-trib, right before the Great Tribulation. And then there are others that are post-trib, so all these great terms, okay, uh, pre-mid or post. There's post-trib, that people, you know, there are people that study Scripture, come to the conclusion that the church is going to be raptured at the end of the Tribulation. Now, here's the thing. Whenever it happens, I don't think anybody's going to be, see, be saying, see, I told you so, okay, I hope not. I don't think that's the heart of God. And here's the thing is that regardless of what I believe, if I believe in pre-trib and it happens mid-trib, I'm not going pre-trib. Okay, I'm going to go when Christ calls me. So here's the thing is be ready. You know, and whatever God brings into your life, whether it's a trial that you're going through right now, a difficulty, or it's the tribulation, God's going to give you what you need to get through it in victory. So we don't need to fear these things, and you can have personal convictions, and I'm going to talk about this after we talk about the millennium, but you can have personal convictions, and you can study and come to conclusions. But here's the more important thing. What are you doing with Jesus? How are you living out your faith? How is what you believe impacting like what's happening right here, right now? And that's the most important thing. It really is. Not whether or not you've got the prophecies figured out. Okay, so then we move into the millennium and that's a thousand years and that's what I believe the five verses that we're looking at is describing the millennial rule of Christ. And that's after, uh, again, many believe that, that it's after the second coming of Christ. If the second coming of Christ happens at the end of the tribulation, and, and I'm saying if because, again, there's different interpretations, but you know, the second coming of Christ is when he comes back physically with the armies of heaven and he defeats the enemy and Satan and the, and the beast and the false prophet are bound up Okay, they're held in captivity. And there's this rule of peace that settles upon the earth. I believe that's what these verses are referring to, the millennial, the millennial reign of Christ. Now, some people believe that um, the second coming of Christ happens to start the millennial reign of Christ, that that's when it happens. There's others that interpret Scripture and say, no, the second coming of Christ happens at the end of the millennial reign. Okay? And then there's others that believe that in what's called amillennialism, which means that they interpret scripture to say it's not a literal thousand years. It doesn't happen exactly that way. It's actually something that began with the birth of the church and is happening even now. That amillennialism says that it's in the spirit realm, that it's uh, something that's not tangibly seen, but it's happening in Israel, okay? So here's the thing. If you weren't confused before I started this slide, you probably are now, okay? The goal is not confusion. The goal is not confusion. The goal is that we would, first of all, have a confidence that the prophecy of God is true, and when I interpret it the way that God has spoken it, it will come about that way. But the goal of prophecy is to to help us 
grow in our confidence in the truth of the word of God. And what we can do is look at prophecies again about Christ, and you can look back, and we've talked about this many times, the prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ, that could not just happen by chance. It proves that God knows what's gonna happen, and it happens, okay? Whether we understand it completely or not, we can look back and we can see prophecy fulfilled, and it gives us confidence that we can have faith that the word of God is true. It gives us hope for future, And that's our desire is that as we look at prophecy is that we would grow in our confidence in God, we would grow in our hope in God, and we would grow in our dedication to follow God's word. And, you know, if we allow, and I want to, I'll walk gently here, but if we allow our different interpretations of prophecy to cause division, we've missed it. You know, I so appreciate in in my studies, I was reading from this ministry, and they clearly said, we are premillennialist. They, they, they declared that very strongly. And then they said, but we believe that amillennialists also have some valid points from Scripture, and we're going to present their article. <laughs> and I really appreciate that, because they said, we're not going to let our differences divide us. What we want to do is keep, keep studying, keep praying. Let's have good discussions together and Bible studies, but let's not let it cause division. That, that's, that's allowing the enemy to get in and to do something that God doesn't want to happen. He wants the word of God to draw us together, to point us to him, to get us to focus on him, to trust him, and to live more like Jesus. Okay, so as we look at all this, remember, regardless of how this plays out, God wins. Okay, God wins. He's winning now, and he wins. And he's longing for us, for you and to me, to come more and more under his rule. And that rule says, I'm, look, I'm turning into more like Christ. I'm being transformed more into the image of Christ. So whatever you choose to believe, whatever your studies bring you to in a conclusion, let it lead you to this, be more like Christ. Treat people more like Jesus treats people. See them as he sees them. So, now we're actually going to go down through, if I can find, let me get back to here. Yeah, I, I did have page numbers, but they mean nothing when you shift everything around. Okay, so we're going to now just go through this passage, and I'm going to follow Warren Wearsby, as Jeff and I were, were meeting and talking about this. Uh, love the way he unpacks this. It's only five verses, but he breaks it into, um, into four, um, four different areas, and... I'm losing papers and my clicker. Okay, so we're going to look at four different things. And the first is this, that in these scriptures, we look at it and we see that there will be a holy city. Verse 17, then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. As Jeff and I were talking about this, I never, it, as many times I've heard about the holy city of New Jerusalem and things like that, I never realized how much contradiction, seemingly contradiction there is when those two words are put together, holy and city. Right? Okay, some others, so Jeff, again, Jeff brought enlightenment to me on this, and, and, and it's like, I'm glad the guy can speak it to you, because think about, when you think of city, do you ever think of the word holy? You think, holy cow, I mean, like, um, <laughs> like but, but I mean, a city seems to be anything but Holy. When you bring a lot of people together, when you bring two people together, you have trouble. But when you bring a lot of people together living in the same place, it becomes a hub of commerce, of entertainment, of governance, of all these things. And all these people are together. It's a mess, literally. There's trash everywhere, physically and morally, right? You see the picture of what we know as a city. And God says, there's another picture here. There's another picture. There's a holy city. 
And that's what, what, what God is, is, pro, is telling us, he's promising us. Then, and, it's, and the holy city is Jerusalem. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. And I'll tell you, again, when we look at this, only God could do this. Only God could make a city holy. Only God could take Jerusalem that has been on the most disputed property in all of, world, in all of the world, in all of history, and establish a holy city. Holy means set apart unto God. Holy means without sin. It's righteous. And it says that he protects it. It keeps the foreigners from invading it. This is the promise of God, that, that he will dwell in his holy city in Jerusalem. The next thing that he does is that he brings a restored land. So you look at what's described here in verses 18 and 19. It says, in that day the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the, all the ravines of Judah will run with water. So Israel, the, the land of Israel, often has been described by God through history as the land flowing with milk and honey right? Like that was the promise. It's, it's how he described that land. Well, flowing with milk and honey means that, that there's abundance, there's life. Because livestock, you have to have livestock to produce milk. And to have honey, that means there has to be vegetation so that plants can grow and nectar can give, give honey, that, that bees can then, then create, or give nectar so that bees can create honey. So that's, that's it's saying that there's abundance of the land, but not only that, he's saying that there's, uh, in addition to, the, to the, that flow of milk, there's also the mountains will drip with new wine. Okay, so we see uh, the, the grapes and the, the fruit of the, of the land being in abundance. And then we see this water. It says the, the ravines of Judah will run with water. Now, Jerusalem was unique in the cities of old in that it was, it was one, the one city that's known of, that I don't know that there are any others, that a great city that was not built along a great river. Okay, because cities needed rivers. They needed it for the water. The, often around the river was fertile soil. Um, they used the rivers for transportation. Judah was not built on a river. Judah was established by God, and Judah, or Jerusalem was established by God in Judah, and Jerusalem was put where it was as a, a city dependent on God. That unless the rain came down, the early and latter rain, uh, the fall and the spring rains, unless the rain came down from heaven, Jerusalem could not survive. So Jerusalem did go through times of droughts, judgments. We looked at that. But it was dependent on God from water, for water. And what happens here, it becomes a source of water. Like, like do you realize how miraculous this is? That Jerusalem that, that had to have the rain now is becoming a source of water that flows out to, to the, the ravines, the, the water that flows to the valley of Acacias. Now, um, that's in the NIV. Some uh, translations, the same thing. It says the valley of Shittim, Okay. It really says that. I did not make that up. Um, but it's a place where there had been both victory and, 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 and struggle. It's where the Moabites had sent in women to seduce the, the men of Israel. It's also the place where victory started because it's where Joshua and the army left, went from to conquer Jericho and, and to begin uh, marching through Canaan. Uh, so, so that water that flows covers the past sin and, and, and victory. That water that flows. Now what happens is when we look at this, we look at the water flowing from the temple, and many of you may recognize this. Ezekiel 47, I'm not going to read through the chapter, but I want to encourage you to go and look at it because it's the, it, the prophet in Ezekiel says about the water flowing from the temple of God. And, and that water flows, it says like a trickle first, and this is, it, it's, you know it's supernatural because as it goes, it grows. 
okay? It's not dissipated, but it grows. You measure out a thousand cubits, it's up to the ankles. Another thousand, it's up to the knees. Another thousand cubits, it's up to the waist. Then another thousand, and it's river that you can't cross. But what it is, it's a river of life where everything that it touches comes to life. There's trees on the edges. It flows into the Dead Sea, and the, and the salt water becomes fresh, and fish abound. So, so this is what it's talking about. Like Jerusalem becomes a source of water supernaturally. And in, in other prophecies, it actually says that, it, that, that the mountain is split and it flows to the Dead Sea and to the Mediterranean Sea. But there's life. It's supernatural. This is what God brings. He restores the land. We long for land to be restored. We love for nature to be at its finest, but this is beyond, even beyond that. So the next thing that it moves to is this, is it's a cleansed people. When we look at verses 20 and the first part of 21, but Judah will be inhabited forever in Jerusalem through all generations. It's the people of God that are cleansed by God and living in a holiness that is provided by God. Okay? The people of God that are again living in the presence of God so that they're, they're living in this place of cleanliness that can only be provided by God. Now the thing is in the Old Testament often talked about uh, the washing of water for cleansing. And that's a picture, it's a symbol because God again doesn't look at the outside, he looks at the inside. And what God does, he takes care of our hearts in such a way that we become clean on the inside and that flows out to our outside. Okay, but we have a cleansed people I mean, isn't this incredible what's in this passage? And then finally, we have a glorious king. And that is, again, that statement, the Lord dwells in Zion. The Lord dwells in Zion. God himself is living among men. God himself is present for all of mankind. We have a glorious king and his governance is set up. He is the perfect monarch. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and every decision he makes is right. Every decision that he makes is for the best of all who are under his rule. The Lord dwells in Zion. This is the prophecy that, that Joel gives us. What an incredible, what an incredible picture that is painted as we conclude this book of Joel. Now when we look at this, a holy city, a restored land, a cleansed people, a glorious king. Yes, we're looking into future. That future comes through the work of Christ. That, that future comes as Jesus visibly steps into a place of rule and reign. But what I'm convinced is this, the application to our lives, is that this is what he wants our lives to look like more and more and more and more. As we stand in the truth that God wins. And as we understand his longing for us, that we would come more and more under his rule and under his reign right now, this is part of the forever, what we're looking at. But as, as we come under his rule and reign right now in greater and greater ways, we will experience more and more of this in our lives. This place, you may look in the mirror and say, holy and me do not go together. Can I tell you, in Christ, he says, yes, they do. I'm choosing you. I'm calling your name. Will you say yes? Now, that holiness is not of yourself. We're all a mess, period. The holiness is what God imparts to us in Christ. That being set apart 
being the place where the trash is taken out and removed from our lives, being that place where other things have overrun and, and, and it's hard to see the beauty of God and all of a sudden the presence of God steps in and says, no, you are a holy place set apart for me. This thing of a restored land, that flowing of water that we talked about coming from the city and that, that river, do you realize the Holy Spirit was prophesied by Christ to be a spring, a river of living water coming from inside of us? That God is desiring to bring us into this very reality of the Holy Spirit who is in us. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've become a child of God, that only happens because the Holy Spirit has given you life and the Holy Spirit now lives within you. And that Holy Spirit is a river that springs up from within you and wherever that river flows, it t- whatever it touches, it's, it's life. That's what God has called us to. A cleansed people, again, what we talked about tying with that holiness, is that I'm cleansed as I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm made holy. I'm made right before God because what Jesus has done and as I accept his covering, God looks at me and he sees the righteousness of Christ. I'm cleansed. Will you accept and say yes and say to the winning guy, Yes, I am cleansed. I receive that holiness because you have said it. I'm going to live as a holy person of God by your power and by your might. What your word says is true. And then finally, glorious king. Oh my. Have you made him your king? Does the Lord reign in you. There's something inside of many of us that's like, yes, yes, and then there's this other part that's like, mostly, mostly, and some of us are like, well, not yet. Here's the thing. God's longing is for you to come under his rule. It's not because he wants to dominate and overpower you. Well, he does want to overpower you, but it's because he has what's best for you. He's created you. He knows what's good for you. And he's desiring to rule and to reign in your life so that you can experience the fullness of life, that you can have taste of this millennial kingdom even right here, right now, today. And you say, in this world, no. No, in this world, yes, this is what Jesus came to do, to be your king. And so many times, again, I've said this, and and we've all said this at different times, like we surrender and we say, Jesus, be Lord. I think reign above it all. I think we we just sang that today, didn't we? And I sing it and I mean it. And I walk out and I forget it. But God says, it's okay. Just come back to me again. Let me reign above it all. Let me be the one who rules in your life and every part of your life. I don't know about you, but this book of Joel is amazing. Keep coming back to it. Carry these truths with you. And as we wrap up today, I want you to to remember this, to embrace this, to walk in this truth, this one point that God wins and he longs for you to live under his rule both now and forever. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for for your goodness, God, for your mercy. And we thank you that you are king of kings and lord of lords. That's not something you're stepping into. You are ruler over all. God, we thank you that we have confidence from your word and even testimony in our lives of how you win. And God, we hear you calling. I hope every person hears you calling their name to be on that winning team. God, that that each one here present and listening online would hear their name being called and say yes 
yes, I come to you, God. I want to be on your team. I want to come under your coaching. I want to come under your rule. I want to allow you to be king of every area of my life. And God, I thank you, Lord, that that longing can be fulfilled in us now. God, we thank you that one day this is going to be manifested in a way that goes beyond what we can imagine. But God, I thank you, Lord, that you're desiring for us to experience greater manifestations of your rule and your reign right now, today, this morning. And God, for anyone that's here or listening that has not yet surrendered uh, to your kingship, has not accepted the provision that you offer of forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, thank you that right now they can make the decision, that they can move from saying no to saying yes. And God, for each one of us that have already made that decision, I thank you that you are calling us in, each, in, in er, other areas of our lives to stop saying no to you and to say yes and to step onto, uh, that, that, into that place where you are leading, that you are ruling, that you are king. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we uh, close with a song of worship, I, I would like to point to something that has already been announced, but we realize that we all need to hear things like 17 times before we hear it the first time. Um, but next week is the beginning of this amazing series, and it's called Compelled, How Christ's Love Moves Us to Mission. It's a six-week uh, focus on mission from local to global. It's from Jerusalem, Judea, into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth that, that we want to be overwhelmed with God in such a way that we say yes to whatever God calls us to. Okay. Anybody challenged by that? Compelled by love means that I, I see God, I experience God's love in such a way that whatever he says, I say yes because I'm compelled by his love. It's founded in these verses from 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and, every, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we have this incredible opportunity these next six weeks uh, to, to be compelled and overwhelmed by God in greater and deeper ways and then just respond in however he would lead us. Uh, so part of this, as Chris has already shared, there's gonna be an immersive ex experience that's gonna be showing up out in the North Cafe, a chance for you to touch with cultures and, and other lands and, and, and allow God to impact you. Uh, but again, and this is, this is for all, but especially for those that are watching online, next week, no live stream. Okay, so I know we've been saying that, but uh, because of uh, who's sharing, because of the sensitivity, of the hostility of the place that they, where they minister, we are for protection of them and for others is the reason that we're doing this. Uh, so there will not be a live stream next Sunday. So uh, come on in. All those that are online, come and join us in person at 9 or 11. And those that are, are, are here today, just come back, okay? Well, it's so good to, uh, again, be able to share the word of God with you. Let's now stand and close in worship with one more song.